everybody. Welcome to the Hidden Gems podcast. This is the show where we take a streaming service and we like to show you some of the hidden gems that are on that service that maybe you need to dig a little bit deeper to find. It's a lot of fun. We really enjoy doing it. I'm film director Rachel Wagner and Ryan is here. Uh, hey Rachel, it is great to be uh, back with you once again. Uh, and I uh, today has been a day of mixed emotions for me because on the one hand, I am so close to 150 subscribers. As of this recording, I'm at 149. It's like, I'm, I'm so close, I'm almost there. And I think by the time this airs, I will get to 150, but I am just like, I'm just, I, I'm waiting for it. It's like, it, it's like I'm waiting for this big thunderstorm to come and it's like just sitting there overcast, like, are you gonna rain? Like, what are you doing? <laughs> Y'all need to subscribe, come on, it's really good. It's really good and then, stuff. Then there's a part of me that feels just a tad guilty because I had to put off uploading um, uploading a, vi a big video, uh, my new release roundup, because it just quite simply was not ready. There was a part of me that felt like super guilty because I, I try and keep to a schedule, a personal schedule of, okay, gonna upload mm -hmm. this this day and try not to diverge from that. but. I I am okay with it because I'd much rather upload something I'm proud of that should be tad late over something rushed that I'm like, I should have spent more time on that. Yeah, I think that that's the way to go, is to have something that you feel good about and people just waiting a little bit longer and you'll get a better response anyway, I think, so. Yeah, agreed. But mm -hmm. anyway, that's off to one side. Let's dive into <laughs> the episode today. We're going to be talking yes. about Canopy, the sleeper hit of the uh, of the streaming <laughs> world. Because no matter how many times I go back to this service, I always find like six or seven things where I'm just like, I don't know how or why this is on here, but I'm glad it is. Like this time around, it's like another round from Mads Mikkelsen, or Mads Mikkelsen stars in it, that just was nominated for Best Foreign Film at the mm -hmm. Oscars. Clock Stoppers is on there, which I recommended last week in the Paramount Plus episode, or two weeks ago on the Paramount Plus episode. And just literally, it's it's literally, you stumble onto something, and be like, wait, that's on there? And, and that's, I think this is literally the most hidden gem of a hidden gem service I think we've covered on here. Yeah, I definitely agree. I mean, and especially when you consider the fact that it's free, my favorite price, free 99 um, with a library card. And there was just so much variety. I mean, you have uh, all of the, you have a whole bunch of classic films on here. You have a whole bunch of new films on here. There's indie, there's criterion type of releases. There's uh, and there's more mainstream stuff as well. I mean, it is just a huge variety. Yeah, some for some reason, Manos, The Hands of Fate is on here, which is infamously like one of the worst movies ever made. So I'm not sure why it's here other than <laughs> just to be like this super like curiosity of like, here, look at this truly awful movie. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they have all kinds of things from cult classics to more mainstream films to all different stuff. I mean, it's just a very, very good resource. It's it's one of the better streaming services that we talk about. And like I said, that's pretty amazing considering it's free. Really, all you need to access it is your library card. And even that, I, <coughs> excuse me, I think it's still it's still free. So it, there's really no excuse to not dive into it, especially if you're into like classic stuff, 
more indie stuff like stuff off the beaten trail mm-hmm. these smaller movies that you might might have seen once but don't remember are actually better than you remember mm-hmm. yeah and they have some like bigger releases something like the big short or i'm trying to remember off the top of my head like they have some bigger names in there they get like oscar nominations and stuff like that but i i think you could pick almost anything as a hidden gem you know given sometimes our weak criteria yeah they literally <laughs> yeah. Just, they literally just added parasites on here like yeah these, like the parasite so i don't think you could pick that as a hidden gem but it's so good <laughs> no i i thought about it but i was like no literally everybody talks about it it's like the number one movie on letterboxd of all time so they yeah disqualifies itself but <laughs> As far as this service goes, if there's like a movie that you've been told is great, but I've no way to see it, it's probably on here. So yeah, we all need to get on the uh, on the canopy train, if you will. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, let's get started. Let's dive in. So my first choice is called The Biggest Little Farm. And this is a documentary about this couple that decide to drop everything and start their own organic farm and the year of of troubles that they have and it's it is pretty intense and pretty like devastating it definitely makes you never want to start your own organic farm i'll tell you that right now but it's just it's interesting to follow these this couple and there's a couple things that i wish that they elaborated on like the big thing is how they get the funding for this place. They managed to get approved for like all these loans and stuff. And I'm like, how did you do that when you know you had no like employment or no experience? And how did you get approved for all this stuff? Who knows? But nevertheless, it's still it's still pretty interesting. And there's just one problem after another. If it isn't if it isn't weeding, if it's not bugs, if it's not uh animals, uh if it's I mean, just one thing after another that they have to deal with. And they have to deal with it, obviously, humanely because it's organic. And <laughs> so, yeah, it's, and then water, they have water problems. It's just, it's a little bit stressful, but it's very interesting. So I recommend it. Yeah, I remember seeing this, um, I remember seeing this trailer a lot. Like, it, I, I did this come out in 2018 or 19? It feels like um, 18. Yeah, that sounds right. Well, around, like, say, the summer of 18, I saw this trailer a lot. It never even came close to my area because my local theater really plays, like, Fathom events and opera stuff, never, like, the smaller movies. Those go to, like, Ormond and such. But mm. this time, this movie came nowhere close to my area. And I was I was intrigued by it because the trailer... There's there's a shot in this trailer that like scared me pretty much to death. It was like, it it was this snake who literally, and it's it's in night vision. You see this snake like attack and eat this this animal, and you're just like, well, that's that's very much a um that's very much a snake. And I'm I'm not the biggest fan of snakes. I used to be deathly afraid, but I've mm-hmm. I've gotten a little over it now. A little, not by much, but enough to be like oh, there's a snake, and then just be paralyzed. It'd just be like, oh, there's a snake, and just slowly walk away. So at least I have the wisdom to know the difference there. Yeah, and they, they, 
they have the snakes they have like i said lots of bugs and then other animals that uh, eat their produce like rabbits and how are they what are they going to do and uh i don't know stuff like that things that go wrong with the chickens they have chickens at one point i mean just everything that could go all right just everything that could go wrong goes wrong for these poor people <laughs> so, but i feel like they did give it a bigger than average kind of campaign uh, back in 2018 i feel like i saw trailers and and you know that they really did try to give it a good sell i specifically remember when i was going to see won't you be my neighbor still my favorite movie of 2018 mm -hmm. and because that movie was a documentary there were a couple documentary trailers and i think the trailer for biggest little farm was among them i remember that, that experience quite a bit because i had to drive out of my way to uh to go and see it. I'm glad I did, but I had to drive like 20 minutes in like the opposite direction of which I normally drive. So there that yeah. is. Well, that kind of thing, that separates the, the, the casual moviegoer from the true hardcore movie fan is, I mean, I've driven many times. I had to drive all the way up to Layton once for a screening, which uh, Layton is like an hour plus from my house. It's a long drive. I hope the movie was worth it. I enjoyed it. I actually recommended it uh, a couple weeks ago. It was uh, Bridget Jones's Baby. <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> I know. Well, know. Semi-worth it. I, I couldn't imagine driving an hour out of my way to see, like, say, I don't know, like, maybe, like, Profile or something. Maybe yeah. like an Avengers movie or perhaps even, like, right. a Star Wars movie, for example, then totally yeah i also drove to that theater in layton to see sing the illumination you poor soul i think the best movie illuminations ever made but yeah well that that's uh, a pretty low bar <laughs> yeah it is so that's my first choice what is your first choice so my first choice is another documentary from the beautiful folks at neon Base Little Farm is neon, and my pick, Apollo 11, is a neon joint. And I actually did not see this in theaters. This is probably one of the more unique, uh, unique film-going experiences that I saw two years ago in 2019. My local planetarium, not much because of the stupid virus, but they're going to start gearing back up again to do this. But once every month or couple of months, they would show sci-fi movies or sci-fi-related movies. I, I remember before the virus, they did schedule the show Friday the 13th, which is not necessarily a sci-fi movie, but there you go. I mean, J Jason X, probably. Friday the 13th, eh, maybe. But anyway, to make a long story short, at my local planetarium, this is where I saw Apollo 11 for the first time. And this planetarium has a humongous screen. It makes up the entire roof. So that's what we were dealing with here. And there was some ambiance of like a starry sky, so it's like you could not ask for a better atmosphere to watch a space movie in. And yeah. even if you take that away, Apollo 11 is still a fantastic documentary. This documentary is not, like, is not traditional in that there's not a, a narrator saying, these astronauts are training long and hard for their epic journey to the moon or nothing like that. The narration is told through all the inner dialogue between Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin or between the astronauts or NASA officials and just 
literally everything in between. This entire movie is made up of historical archive footage and historical interviews, not just from NASA, but like old Johnny Carson newsreels talking about the walk up to the moon landing and everything in between there. This movie is absolutely brilliant. It, it tells the entire story of the start of the preparations for Apollo 11 up to the moon landing itself. And it is told exclusively through archival and historical footage and audio. It's a near Herculean task, but director Todd Douglas Miller, I had to write that down because I can remember, is a genius for making this. And I actually, I actually heard an interview with him. He had to pour through thousands of hours of recordings to find the, the stuff that he wanted. And I just can't imagine having a job like that. But the results speak for themselves. Go watch this movie. Even if you're like a hardcore space movie fan, you're like, I've seen it all. Trust me, you have not. This is like, this may be like the Citizen Kane of, of Apollo documentaries, if that makes any sense. Yeah. yeah, it's a really interesting movie. I There was a side of me, if I'm honest, that kind of missed the narrator. And that, I don't know, kind of adds a little bit of like to the story to have the narrator and have some talking heads kind of explaining what's happening and why it's important and what's going on. Uh, I kind of missed it a little bit, but it was just such an interesting idea uh, that they did. And I mean, I kind of understand why it wasn't nominated for Best Documentary. Well, I mean, the Best Documentary branch is, is ridiculous. But we nominate something that has no original footage at all. You know, like, isn't part of making a movie, like, making a movie, like, shooting? Like, I just feel like, don't you need some... Like, I, I can almost see it being nominated more for Best Editing rather than Best Documentary. Um, but I don't know, it's just such a weird, different thing that I, I could kind of understand in that case why they had no idea what to do with it. Now, why they didn't nominate Way Be My Neighbor or so many other great documentaries, I'll never understand. Well, hopefully Morgan Neville will get another stab at it. He's directing another, he is directing another documentary about the life of Anthony Bourdain that's coming out in either June, yeah. either at the end of this month or in July. I'd have to check, but. Yeah, I'm gonna be able to see that at Tribeca. Oh, the really? Tribeca Film, yeah, Tribeca Film Festival. So I'm really looking forward to that. You know, it's still so surreal that, that he's passed on. I remember watching him all the time on No Reservations and it just, mm -hmm. it, he would seem like just the most chill dude in the world. And you, you would never know that he was going through all the stuff that he was going through, but. Yeah. I, I guess it's like that old Robin Williams quote, you never know what someone's going through. Yeah. I, I'm paraphrasing, but I'm sure you get it. Yeah. Well, that's a very interesting pick, and I would be very curious to know what people think of that movie. If you've seen it, put it in the comment section, because it's very unusual. Uh, my next pick is a, a left turn, as you like to say, um, oh. is hard left, is Days of Heaven, and this is by director Terrence Malick, and uh, this is his kind of early masterpiece, I guess you might say, if you like to use that word. Um, very highly praised. Uh, and so I, I was like, is it a hidden gem? But I think for the common average, uh, average every go, everyday moviegoer, they probably don't know about it. 
but certainly for your your uh, film Twitter person, they know about this movie. But anyway, it's beautiful. I mean, even if you don't like Terrence Malick's style, you can't deny that his movies are gorgeous. And <laughs> uh, he makes just beautiful movies that show the earth and the world and light and the way he uses shadows. And particularly, there's a big scene in this movie with a fire uh, that uh, that's just so gorgeous. Um, the story is kind of soapy, if I'm honest, about this love triangle uh, in uh, like 19, I think it's 1920s uh, in the prairie. Uh, and basically this couple that played by Richard Gere and Brooke Adams, they, they lie and say that they're brother and sister and in order that they can, the, the Brooke Adams character can uh, ingratiate herself with Sam Shepard, who's a rich uh, farmer. And so they, are, they even end up getting married and Richard Gere is just kind of, everything's kind of boiling up bit by bit by bit as she becomes more attached to Sam Shepard. Anyway, it's very good, uh, very beautiful. We actually covered it for the Criterion Project a couple of months ago, I think in, in uh, January. Uh, and even Conrado liked it and he's not a big Terrence Malick fan uh, where I love Terrence Malick. I think his movies are so beautiful. And I don't know if you, have you ever gotten a chance to see any Terrence Malick, like Tree of Life or? I remember like watching the Tree of Life and actually liking it more than the next person. I remember, mm. I remember that movie being kind of divisive. And I think that Terrence Malick can be a very can be a very divisive filmmaker because he makes his movies that are are so like abstract and so just yeah. non-traditional that you just have to be like he's either a genius or a hack and I'm not sure even he knows but yeah I, I think I, I think he's a master of visual storytelling like even even in movies that are kind of more straightforward straightforward as a movie like this can be like yeah. say Badlands or The Thin Red Line, they're, they're told in such a unique way that even though Badlands is about a couple on the run from the law and The Thin Red Line is a World War II movie, they're told in such a different way that you kind of forget that they've been done before. And something that I, something that I admire about Malick is that he makes the movies that he wants to make, kind of like a Nolan or a Tarantino. He doesn't have time for studio interference. He's like, I'm going to make my movie and it doesn't matter what you think. And that comes out to mixed results, but I do admire him at least for that. Yeah, and I think that we all have our artistic director who speaks to us, right? You know, and, and a lot of people might be like Paul Thomas Anderson with Magnolia in a movie, you know, like that, which doesn't speak to me and I don't care for a fan thread. Uh, which was fine. I, I just didn't love it. Um, whoever it might be, it might be a Tarantino, it might be a, you know, that are a little bit more uh, abstract. And to some people, they maybe David Lynch, you know, who is your, like everybody has their kind of, that kind of director that really speaks to them. And not that you necessarily have to like everything that they do, uh, but I don't know, I, th I think that you kind of, as you become more of a movie fan, you start to realize, okay, who is it that that it sort of speaks to me artistically? Absolutely, and the more movies that you watch, the more 
your tastes kind of broaden and yeah. the, and the more movies that you watch they in a weird sort of way kind of reflect on the movies that you watched in the past so maybe something mm -hmm. that you liked five years ago may not be as good five years afterwards i, I know yeah, that's true i know that happened with me and like just off the top of my head james cameron's avatar loved it in 2009 in 2013 or 14 i'm like man that was garbage but nowadays i think about it and i'm like it's cliche, but man, James Cameron broke a sweat to make that movie with the effects mm -hmm. and battles, and I could talk about that movie forever, but anyway, yeah, I totally agree. Everyone's got their artistic director who is, like, on the pedestal, and everyone's just like, what is wrong with you? Yeah, yeah is there any uh, Terrence Malick on the AFI list? No, it, no, no, surprisingly. I mean, maybe, maybe he's just too weird for them. Maybe. <laughs> All right, what's your next pick? So my next pick is something far more um, far more well-known, and this is walking the tightrope of a hidden gem, but considering the people involved, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm recommending it because it is really good. It is The African Queen. This is on the AFI list. I have already done a review of it. And when I saw this, I was, I was expecting this to be kind of like an Indiana Jones kind of, kind of movie because I had read that Steven Spielberg took a lot of inspiration for Indiana Jones from the African Queen. You can kind of even see it in maybe just a little bit in Indy's mannerisms with the Humphrey Bogart character here. But about 20 minutes into the movie, I was like, wait, this is an action. This is kind of a romance movie. I'm not sure how to feel about it. But by the end, I was quite surprised at how much I enjoyed it. Um, this tells the story of a very salty sea captain in Africa, played by Humphrey Bogart, who must take this missionary, played by Catherine Hepburn, from point A to point B. Problem is, they're in the heat of World War I, so they are being constantly chased by, well, they're being terrorized by the nature of Africa, as well as the Germans. And, <coughs> excuse me, like I said, this is definitely a romance, and considering that it's Humphrey Bogart and Katherine Hepburn, two of the smoothest actors who have ever lived. It is, of course, fantastic. The scenes they have together are just, they're just so well realized. There's also, <coughs> excuse me again, there's also a lot of texture to this, for lack of a better word. You feel like you're in Africa with them. You feel the sweat on your brow and just the sun just beating down on you like it's beating down on them. There's a pretty intense scene in which, <coughs> coughing all night, in which Humphrey Bogart has to push his boat, the African Queen, out of these marshes, and he gets covered in leeches. It's a pretty brutal scene, even for like 1950. And Catherine Hepburn has to take them off one at a time. It's, leeches are just not fun, y'all. Let's just say that. And the ending of this movie is also great. I won't spoil it if you haven't seen it, but it makes the entire movie. And at the end of the day, this is definitely, this is definitely, this is definitely gone overlooked in the pa in the many years since. Mm -hmm. And I think it deserves a second look. It was directed by John Huston, who directed Maltese Falcon. So that's the type of quality we're dealing with here. Yeah, I haven't seen this for a long time. It's been probably 10 plus years. Uh, but I do remember really enjoying it, and the banter between the two of them was really fun. Yeah, Humphrey Bogart was just a master of just coming off 
just the coolest cat who ever lived in every situation. Maltese Falcon, Casablanca, Key Largo, a supremely underrated noir film. This movie, mm -hmm. he was just, he was just on point with everything. He was, he was the man with the plan and he was going to see it executed no matter what. You couldn't yeah. rock him with anything ever for any reason. And I recall that there's, there's a pretty good epic kiss in this movie. Oh yeah. And they're fighting. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. But I remember that. Feel like, I, I feel like Gore Verbinski kind of took a little notes from there with, uh, with, with this one scene in Pirates, Pirates 3 where, mm -hmm. um, where Elizabeth Swan and Orlando Bloom's character get married during the middle of this big battle. And That's Barbosa's, the best part of that movie. And Barbosa's like, do you take this woman to be your lawful wedded wife? <laughs> Bang. I, I do. It's... <laughs> yeah, that's the best part of that movie, in my opinion. <laughs> well, my next pick is another classic. Uh, it is called The Umbrellas of Sherbeau. And this, if you are a La La Land fan, then you should watch this movie because this movie is was heavily influenced uh it was a heavy influence on Damon Chevelle and La La Land if you watch it you'll be like wow there's a lot of scenes that are almost the same <laughs> and it's from 1964 it's by director Jacques Demy and he uh tells the story of a uh woman named Genevieve who uh falls for a young man uh named Guy and the whole thing is music. Every line is music. And uh, beautiful, beautiful songs and beautiful cinematography, choreography. And it has kind of a bittersweet ending, if you like that about La La Land. And uh, it's just gorgeous. And Catherine Deneuve is great. Uh, and she actually had her singing dubbed, but it's it feels flawless. And uh, of course, she has the... Um, the umbrellas, the bright colors, the, um, and uh, if you watch it, you'll see, wow, this influenced so many different movies to come after it. Yeah, I had never heard of this, but when you said La La Land, I was like, well, I love that movie. I did a review of it earlier, so uh, earlier this year, so this sounds like definitely something for me. You definitely should check it out then if you like uh, I mean, it's not like a secret or anything. Like he's fully admitted that this was an influence on him, and uh, so yeah, I think uh, you'll see uh, a lot of similarities. Even like I said, both of them kind of have a bittersweet ending, and uh, even the style. I think of the music and the choreography uh, is is similar. I think that I like the songs and the characters a little bit more in this than in La La Land, but I, you know, I'm not a La La Land hater by any means. I just uh, wasn't my favorite musical that year that it came out, but I still enjoyed it. So yeah, you should check this out, it's really good. <coughs> so what is your next pick? So my next choice, <coughs> excuse me again, coming back with a vengeance. So my next choice, is is from A24. It was released in 2017, and it is called Free Fire. Uh, this was directed by Ben Wheatley, and it has an all-star cast, including Killian Murphy, uh, Army Hammer, uh, I'm forgetting her name, Brie Larson, and Charlton Copley. 
the basic premise is that all of these actors are playing, well, thieves, forgers, really. And they're all conspiring on this one big job. However, this job goes completely south. And so them being thieves and, well, there are no honor being among thieves, they all turn on each other. And this movie pretty much all takes place in pretty much this one warehouse to where everybody's like, which side are you on? I'm not on any side. That might sound a tad boring, but it's much better than I make it out to be. This definitely gives off a Reservoir Dogs vibe, if any of you have ever seen Reservoir Dogs. I don't think this movie is as good as Reservoir Dogs, but it has a same, it has a same flavor to it. Uh, the cast is the reason to watch this movie. Uh, Brie Larson gives my favorite performance of hers. I think she's really good here. Charlotte Copley is a lot of fun, as always. Uh, Army Hammer's good, and I can't hate any movie with Killian Murphy in it. He's just, he's pretty much top class in anything that he's in. Peaky Blinders, Dark Batman Begins, so on and so forth. This is definitely an off-kilter movie. I mean, you would expect that from an A24 production. So I don't think this will be necessarily for everyone. However, I think if you give it a shot, you might be surprised. Actually, no pun intended with the shot. <laughs> yeah, so you think it's better than her performance in Room? I actually haven't seen Room in a very long time, so I would have to rewatch it to uh, to to see how I feel. But she was she was charismatic. She was funny at times. You know, people oh. give people give her crap for all the stuff she said for her surrounding Captain Marvel and all of that. It was I I don't dis I don't agree or disagree with it i'm just saying in general it was yeah kind of a pr nightmare but here she actually she's she's actually given stuff to do and some meaty lines to to chew on and it's a lot of fun Ooh, i haven't seen it uh, so that's interesting definitely i remember hearing about it but i i haven't seen it so my next pick is a film that I saw at Sundance in 2020 before everything blows down. And it was a pretty weak year of Sundance. So this was my favorite film that I saw at Sundance that year. And I'm not saying this and Dick Johnson is Dead were like way better than anything else that I saw out of like 25 movies. And so I really did enjoy it. It's called Save Yourselves. And it's a comedy sci-fi uh, about this couple played by Sunita Mani and John Reynolds. And they go up to upstate New York to spend a weekend off the grid. They're, they're putting away the cell phones, putting away everything. And cause they're just like addicted to their cell phone. And it turns out that's the weekend there's an alien invasion. <laughs> of course. It's pretty funny, like when they they because the aliens are like these puff balls that like that out of you kind of and and uh, when they're running away from the puff balls, they are like trying to go through and like all they they don't have any like real food. It's all like uh, farm raised like lamb or so. Like what can we put in this you know this cooler? And uh, and he, they he's, they're like, what's the gun? There's a gun, and she's he's like, do I look like a gun person? Like what? And uh, so it, it was just, 
I thought very funny and they had great chemistry these two and uh, so that helped a lot too and you're really rooting for them the ending is not great and it maybe overstays its welcome just a little bit but I still overall really enjoyed it and laughed a lot so if you want a good laugh uh, it is R-rated but if you want to laugh then check it out I think it's definitely worth your time you know, judging from just the general basis of two people who want to fix something, so they try and take a desperate measure to try and fix it, and then all hell breaking loose, kind of reminds me of Shaun of the Dead, and how mm-hmm. Shaun in that movie is trying to move on with his life, and trying to dump his best friend so he could be with his girlfriend, and just when he like recommits himself to be a better person, a zombie apocalypse happens. Yeah, that's good. Similar. That's true. That's true. I can see that. So, but yeah, I, oh, sorry. Go ahead. I actually heard some good things about Save Yourselves, but again, it came nowhere near my area. But it, and even if there wasn't the stupid virus, it probably wouldn't even come near my area. So I'll have to, I'll have to check, I'll have to check this out. Yeah, it can't be. There you go. So, uh, what is your next pick? So my next pick is from 1974, and I'm recommending this mostly because I think it's a piece of history that I think, now that it's on Canopy, more people should check out. It is Frankenstein and the Monster from Hell. This is the final movie in the Hammer Frankenstein series that lasted from 1959 to 1974. This is the series that pretty much launched Hammer into the stratosphere for like a good decade and a half. They were, they made nothing but just quality for a straight 10 year stretch. And it all started with the original Curse of Frankenstein. But by 1974, the studio had fallen on way hard times. They had lost their distributor deal with Warner Brothers. And so the writing was on the wall that they were going to go out of business. And they're still kicking now and still making movies, but they, they were put on life support in like starting in the early 70s. And Frankenstein and the Monster from Hell represents the ending to a lot of things, not just the series, but also Peter Cushing in his last time as Baron Frankenstein. And after this, his schedule would be limited. He would be in Star Wars, but his, his time in the spotlight was diminishing. This was directed by Terrence Fisher, one of the great horror directors nobody talks about. And this was his final movie before he would pass away sometime after this. And, and so this is, this is a piece of horror history right here. The monster in the movie is Dave Prowse, who would go on to be Darth Vader in, uh, in Star Wars and well, the whole Star Wars trilogy, The Man in the Suit. And so you have Grand Moff Tarkin and Darth Vader in a non-Star Wars movie together. So that's fun. And if you think that this is going to be like like a like kind of a gore fest it really is not there's definitely some some creature feature stuff here but it's definitely more of a reflection on just how crazy frankenstein's journey has been from humble scientist to what he has devolved to i won't spoil it because it's a long and winding road that leads right to your door as the beatles would say uh, you don't have to watch the other movies to, in order to watch this movie if you're interested. I think it's severely underrated, even as a Frankenstein movie, so I highly recommend it. And it's also pretty tame, so if you're a little 
your little like I don't know. It it's not as bad as like the earlier stuff. Yeah, I mean I have to say these kind of monster movies is a huge hole in my movie viewing. I have I don't I think maybe I saw one Frankenstein movie with Kenneth Branagh. Oh, that's the um, uh that's the nineties version. Yeah. I think that's the only one I've ever seen, which is terrible. Horrible. I mean, aside from Young Frankenstein, hilarious. Oh yeah, um, yeah, that's but, awesome. <laughs> but but uh, I don't, I don't have a hump. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, so it's a huge hole in my movie viewing uh, thing, and I and I actually am going to see a Frankenstein movie uh, for Blind Spot coming up in October. So that's going to be good, and then I'm also going to see a Godzilla movie because that's another huge hole. I've only seen uh, from like 98 forward. <laughs> oh, I've never you, seen any old ones ever. You are you are in for an adventure. When you get to yeah. Godzilla vs. <laughs> Megalon, please let me know. I would I love to hear your reaction to the dropkick and Jet Jaguar and just you are in for such a treat. And and what which Frankenstein movie are you covering? The first one? Um, I think so. Yeah, the the Universal Monster Movie one. Oh, I'm I'm really jealous because I because the first Frankenstein is just is just a work of art and and I remember watching it for the first time and just being so just just so in love with it. So mm-hmm. I'm a little I've jealous. I've read the book. I've read the book several times, Frankenstein. <laughs> but book I is good. As, the book is good yeah. as well. Yeah, it's really good. All right. Well, my last pick is actually a filmed play. And it is Our Town, and it, it is the filming done with, uh, with Paul Newman as the stage manager, as the narrator, basically, of the story. And, uh, and this was released in 2003, and I love the story of, uh, of Our Town. I love, I love almost any type of sort of afterlife, looking back on life kind of stories. Those almost always work for me. There was one at Sundance in 2020 called Nine Days, which is going to be coming out soon, which is really good. I highly recommend that. I really love a movie by uh, Hirokasa Kurida called Afterlife. And the whole idea, the concept behind it is that once you die, you get taken to a place where you have to pick a memory and then they make a movie based on your memory. It's really good. I love um, the Defending Your Life with Albert Brooks and Meryl Streep. That's one of my favorites uh, where he has to, they go to this way station and he has to defend his life uh, for the court. And Meryl Streep is like this uh, kind of almost perfect person. (laughs) She saved it. She died saving a young child in a fire and whatever. And Albert Brooks is just like, what? And It's really good. It's really funny. It's really well done. And uh, Our Town is really wonderful. And uh, this is like a filmed play. And it's all about this girl, Emily. And she has to go back and pick a memory. And she tries to pick something that she thinks will be very innocuous. Like it's not going to be too painful. It's not going to be. So she picks uh, her, I think, 13th or one of her birthdays. I forget the year. She picks one of her birthdays. She thinks, oh, this is nothing you know like this is not going to be hard and of course it ends up being really hard and just and basically the message of the movie is that like i mean of the play is that we take for granted uh the moments in our lives and 
I, you know, and, and looking back on it, she can see so many important things that nobody's paying attention to, that nobody's, you know, that everyone's treating it like it's just some ordinary day. It's really beautiful, wonderful Thornton Wilder, wonderful writer. And uh, so if you want to see Paul Newman act and you want to see the play, then I highly recommend it. And like I said, it's just that kind of story almost always works for me. And I don't think we've ever had like a real our town, like movie, movie. There might've been like TV movies, but not to my knowledge at least. And uh, so I recommend checking this one out. Yeah, I'm a huge Paul Newman fan, like Road to Perdition and The Verdict. And yeah, I even liked him in the Cars movies or released Cars mm -hmm. 1. So I'm a big Paul Newman fan. And this concept- He's not in Cars 2, he dies. I, I meant Cars 1. Yeah, I'm just saying he's not in any of the others. Oh yeah, you're right. I'm he's only in the first. <laughs> well, well, yeah. I, I I love Paul Newman, and this concept sounds just fascinating because, you know, I was when you were reading it out to me, I was kind of like, if I were in that situation, what memory would I choose? And then I'd be like, well, I wouldn't want to choose something painful, or maybe I I'd like to choose a happy memory, but then. What if you're stuck with the process of you have to see that memory like every day for like forever and ever? It could get like super bored. It could turn into like a Twilight Zone episode or something. So I, I could see the point of, of the main character here of choosing something, choosing kind of a math memory. But at the same time, when you look down at the microscope, there, there's so much going on just in the world. There's so many little things that we all miss, not by purpose, not on purpose, yeah. but just, you know, we're always just like, we have our blinders on and we're just, we we're lost in our own worlds, if you will. And it, and it takes, I guess it takes us dying to finally realize that more goes on than we think. Haven't we all realized that this last year of just the small things that you take for granted that you never even thought would go away and then they're gone and you realize it. So I think it's a perfect thing to watch for this time. And I, you know, I love plays, obviously musicals as well. Uh, so I love watching this live play and uh, it's, it's just really fun. So, all right, well, what's your last pick? So my last pick is yet another documentary and this is a documentary that I watched in college and uh, as part of one of my classes. and. In the in the class that I was in, the professor I I, I don't want to get like super political here like ever for any reason, but this professor let's just say when Bernie Sanders asked for our financial support, she said, "How much would you like, sir?" But the documentary that she ended up showing us was Food Inc. from two thousand and nine. I was kind of going into this just dreading it because I because documentaries like this are just like like Crimea River yeah sure but then at the end of like the the first like third of the viewing I was like wow I never thought of that before and literally this entire documentary is just one big I never thought of that before and it'll it it'll make you reconsider like everything you know about the food that we eat and just how it is made and how it is produced and things like that the thing that made me really mad that and I'll, I don't know if I should spoil it or not, but I'll, I'll talk in generalities. Essentially, 
near the end of the movie, it goes into the beef industry and how there is this case in which a mother lost her child due to salmonella poisoning due to bad beef. And so she takes the beef industry to court. I won't go too deep into what happens, but let's just say it'll make you like, it'll make you mad, make you like you want to punch the wall back or punch the wall mad. I know how to speak. Uh, this is not exactly an easy movie to watch. It probably won't be a fun movie to watch. It's probably the least fun movie I've ever recommended on this, on this podcast. But I also recommend it because it's also important because I think it's important to consider what we're eating and, and, and take care of our health. I'm not like super overbearing about it, but I'm just saying that we should be vigilant and try and just think about that kind of stuff. Like, like in the words of Fox Mulder, the truth is out there. Yeah, maybe we watch this and The Biggest Little Little Little's Farm, and you will never want to eat anything ever again. For real. <laughs> yeah, for real. You can't eat, you can't eat uh, the uh, you can't eat the organic stuff because of all the trauma, <laughs> and you can't eat the uh, the mass-produced stuff. It's the uh, <laughs> Oh, I haven't seen this one, but I, you know, I've heard about it. So very interesting. There we go. We did it. We have our picks. Uh, so let us know if you have seen any of these films, what you think of them, what you've been watching on Canopy. If you have been checking out uh, films, we had a recommendation from our friend. Let me pull it up one second. This one. Okay. We had a recommendation from our friend Alonzo Duralde, the critic. He's oh, a patron hi. of our podcast. And he says, if you can get to it on one of your canopy episodes, I recommend a Jillian Armstrong doc called Bingo, Bridesmaids, and Braces. He says, it's kind of like an Australian 28 up. So uh, I have not, he just barely recommended it. So I haven't had a chance to watch it yet, but uh, I definitely will watch it because uh, he gives great recommendations and uh, we'll see. But that sounds really interesting. So is this look the, at that as well. Is this the actress, Jillian Anderson? Jillian Armstrong. And Jillian oh. Armstrong was the same director who did uh, the 90s Little Women. She hasn't oh. directed all that much, but what she has directed has been really good so yeah so check that out as well and ryan where can people find you uh they can find me on facebook twitter instagram and letterboxd at ryan cam 20 then there's of course my youtube channel which is just called ryan cam like i said i just need one more to get to 150 and well i'd like to do a q a when i get to 150 so i i that's definitely in the cards but I'm at 149. All I need is like just one more. So if you wouldn't mind checking me out, please do. I got the new release roundup coming out on Wednesday. Friday, I'll be dropping an AFI project video for Goodfellas. And then this coming Sunday, I'm so excited. Myself and Sean from the Lost in the Real channel will be doing a deep dive into Hayao Miyazaki's masterwork, Spirited Away. Uh, it's going to be north of a half an hour, maybe 45 minutes. 
we dissect the entire film like almost shot for shot. Uh, it's it's it, Sean is so much fun to talk with and to discuss Ghibli lore with. I'm definitely gonna bring him back, but but please do check that Spirited Away out. It will be coming out this Sunday on the 13th, and that's just a taste of what's coming to the channel. Mm -hmm. I shall definitely check it out. And uh, you can find me at Rachel's Reviews, all of our social media, iTunes, YouTube, and on Rotten Tomatoes. We're starting out Teen Movie Month for Family Movie Night every Monday. And that is the chance for me to review some PG-13 and maybe just like a little more mature movies than I might typically do for Family Movie Night. And we start out this week with The Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants, which held up very well. It was a lot better. Not that I didn't have good memories of it, but I, had a, I just had this memory of it being kind of a fluffy light movie um but it actually tackles some pretty deep subjects and had some very good acting i was impressed i enjoyed it so check that out i would really appreciate it and we're gonna have teen movie month all month long and then also on wednesday i have my uh, discussion with stanford with the mitchells versus the machines and uh, we just love that movie so much we decided to do it for our talking animation for this month and then upcoming, we have The Emperor's New Groove for Talking Disney coming up next week with Jennifer Chandler. And that's really fun too. So lots of good stuff coming up. Make sure you're subscribed. And also make sure you check out the Hallmarkies podcast with three interviews this week over there. So if you want to hear some interesting people talk about their lives and uh, they have to be making Hallmark movies, check it out. It's really good. So thanks so much, everybody. And uh, please like this video. Please subscribe to our channel. We appreciate that so much. We also have our patron group, which you can be patrons like Alonzo. And it's so appreciated and helpful. It's only $2 to join in and support the podcast. We also have our merch store, which has tons of fun designs, including our Hidden Gem logo. You can check that out. And uh, thanks so much, everybody. And we'll talk to you later. Bye, everyone. Bye.